I have to preach now. <laughs> Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to continue our series on the fear of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. You may stand as we read these scriptures. Paul is writing and he says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Verse 9, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also in your consciences. Lord, help as we study your word. You may be seated. Three things out of this passage about which I want to speak to you. One, confidence and courage. Two, acceptable living. And three, persuading men. This entire passage is boundaried by the concept of the fear of the Lord. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. <laughs> He's not just aspiring to the fear of the Lord. He's no, he knows the fear of the Lord. There ought to be at some point in your Christian life, an experience that allows you to say, I know what it means to fear God. Not just striving to figure out how to fear God. Not hoping you will attain to the level at which you can say, someday I fear God. But your history has been such that you fear God and you know what it's about. You know how to live in that environment. This entire passage is bounded by the concept of the fear of the Lord. And he talks about the confidence that he has, the good courage that he has to live in a certain way. And may I say, to be a really good Christian, you've got to have some courage. I'm not saying you have to be a hero. And here, a hero is somebody who does extraordinary things for the benefit of others, even laying down their life so that others might have one bringing safety to those who are in danger. That's good, great. If you, if you have an opportunity to do it, make it happen. But I'm not talking about being a hero every day. I'm just talking about exercising the courage to do the right thing every day. Paul says, the fear of the Lord brings me to a spot that allows me to develop a confidence about how to live. People look at a person who has lived the Christian life well over a long period of time and they sit there and they scratch their head and they say, I don't know how to do that. I don't think I have, I don't have the ability to, to do what you do and make the decisions you make. How do I get there? Well, you start with the fear of the Lord. You start with the idea that God is God all by himself. And he is one that needs to be revered differently than any other man. He is not to be compared with the authorities that are on the planet. He is something and someone completely other. 
And being so distinct and so different needs to be responded to with the kind of respect that folks who are under creation that is under should give him because he is perfect and we are not. When you are in the presence of greatness, I'm not talking about people who do good, great accomplishments, though that can be defined as greatness. If you're in the presence of Hank Aaron who holds a home run record, you think, wow, he can play baseball. That's really neat. Willie Mays, probably the greatest baseball player ever. And you can argue with me, but I say you lose. <laughs> Emmett Smith, the greatest guy who's ever carried a football in history, got more yards than anybody else. To pick your greatest quarterback. You sit there and you say, whoo, that's so-and-so. But that's just their talent. Yes, they developed skill. Yes, they worked hard. And, and that's why we need to esteem them in the areas of greatness, whether it be ballet or singing or music or the, the acting. All those things are wonderful. But celebrity is too often confused with greatness. And I'm not into celebrity much. In fact, I try to stay away from it personally. There are things I could do that can make my, my name known. I don't care. I just want to serve you in my community. That's all I want to do. If nobody ever knows my name but you, I'm good. I'm good. I want, to, I want Jesus to confess me before the Father. That's what I'm looking for. He said, if you confess me before men, I'll tell, you, I'll tell my daddy about you. I said, oh, I want that. I'm not interested in appearing in the post. I want that. But greatness to me is different than celebrity. It's different than accomplishment. It's about character. And you ever been around people who are really talented and you say, wow, but have you ever been around people that have this gravitas that you just know, ooh, that's heavy. That those, he's, she's different. Like being around Cynthia Fuller. <laughs> and she deflects all of the, 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 the praise and, and as well as a good Christian should. But I don't know a better believer. I don't know a more patient human being. I don't know a more kind human being. Loving. A really, really good person. And the gravitas of her life encourages me every day. And there are other people who have the character of Christ on the inside of them that has been formed that evidences to me you didn't get there just by talent. You did not get there by anointing. The what, the thing I see, the what that I'm, I, I'm identifying is because you walked in the fear of God every day. And they've developed the confidence to do so. Now, sometimes that confidence can be confused as arrogance. And that somebody who's walking in the fear of the Lord is very, very sure of themselves. But that doesn't mean that they are trusting in themselves. It simply means that they've walked with God long enough to know the boundaries well. One of the things that you learn when you are taught to drive is how to stay on the road. I, I know that's very elementary. But when people are young, they don't know how to do that. But when you learn how to drive, you don't even think about staying on the road. You're not worried about the boundaries. You're not worried about hitting the guardrail. You're just going straight, and you're confident in it. That's the way somebody who has the fear of the Lord has been walking in it for a long time, walks with great confidence, knowing I don't go there, I don't go there, I go here.
And Paul was one of those people. He said, I have confidence that whether I'm in the body or out of the body, it doesn't matter. I'm going to, to, to feel the pleasure of the Lord. Point two, that there is an acceptable living that we need to aspire to. The thing that I am working on really, really hard, if you were to boil down my Christian life to just one phrase, it would be this, to bring a smile to God's face. That's all I'm trying to do, to make God happy. And that goes beyond whatever he asks me to do, whatever I'm required to do. I want to do the things that he's not even asking, though are in his heart, so that I bring a smile to his face. I've said this before. My son was 14, Grant, and I was taking a nap on the couch, and he was in the house, and Mama was out, and um, he's a baby. And so I, I heard the, the vacuum cleaner running while I was asleep, and I knew Mama was gone. The vacuum cleaners. Grant's the only one home. What in the world is going on? <laughs> what, what in the world? I woke up, and he was near me doing the vacuuming. I said, what are you doing? He said, vacuuming. I said, I ain't stupid. I can see that. <laughs> what are you doing? He said, I'm, I'm just trying to help out mom. See that? You see what happens? In your, you, you smile back at me. There's, you can't help the corners of your mouth going up. I looked at him in the eye and said, oh. and I hugged him. One of those long, uncomfortable hugs <laughs> where you're wondering the other party is, are you done yet? Are you, are you done yet? I said, man, you got it. You got it. Nobody asked him. I want to bring a smile to the face of God by doing things I'm not required to do. Already doing the stuff I'm required to do, but doing the stuff I'm not required to do. That I've developed somehow God's heart. Why? Because I'm walking in the fear of the Lord. I'm trying to figure out how to please him, it says in Colossians, in all respects. We want we want to hear that ultimate well done when we get to glory, do we not? I mean, the parable that Jesus gave of the talents and, 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 the, and the steward who gave them out, or the, the master who gave them out to the stewards, they, 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 were, they were desperate to hear well done. And every time they did well, they heard it. But the one who did not do well did not hear it. I want to hear well done. Paul says, I want to hear well done. I want to be pleasing to him, whether I'm in the body or out. Meaning there's going to be some kind of conversation, an appointment in glory between you and Jesus, between me and Jesus. And there's going to be an evaluation. Let's go to the videotape. Now the stuff that we've done wrong, gosh, that stuff is going to be under the blood. And so we're not going to rehearse that. Everybody say amen to that. Amen. Yeah. So Jesus is going to wipe, the, that, that's all gone. But the stuff that we have done good, Oh, he says he never forgets, and there are rewards for it. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why God gives rewards to us in glory. 
I don't know because we're, we're his servants. This is what we're supposed to do. But he is so good to us. He gives us rewards that never fade away. They don't, they, they don't, they don't perish. And we get to enjoy them forever. And how do we enjoy them? It's not like heaven has a grocery store. It's not like it has a bag. How do we enjoy them? What is the thing we are going to do with those precious rewards? He's going to offer them back. So we see this picture in the book of Revelation whereby the, 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 the elders, the 24 elders, have crowns on their head. I, I, I don't think I'm going to ever get one of those. I might get a cubic zirconium. Little tiny quarter of a carrot thing. And I'll be happy. I don't think I'll ever get one of those crowns. But they, they have crowns. They were amazing. Peter, James, John, and whatever you consider the, the elders of the Old Testament. Amazing human beings. Did great things. Started all the stuff we now call covenant that we're walking in. Wow. But when they see Jesus in glory, they throw their crowns down. Now, what John had was kind of a snapshot it was just a YouTube reel, just a moment Instagram. It wasn't all of eternity because we know this, that they had crowns on their head and they threw them down. But it wasn't the only time they had crowns on their head because it seems like it was a reel that kept looping. That once they threw them down, God put them back. said, no, they're yours. And they kept worshiping and back and worshiping and back. One thing you do not want to do when you get to heaven is have nothing to give. Don't come empty-handed to heaven. It's not like he's going to kick you out. That's not an issue. It's, number one, of what is he worthy? Number two, I don't want you to be sad. Now, there are very many reasons, it says in the book of Revelation, why Jesus is going to wipe every tear from our eye. It says that. And that's a good thing, because sadness is not something that needs to be incorporated in perfect. But why are people crying in heaven? Maybe there are tears of joy. Maybe. But tears of joy are not necessarily those you wipe. Those are those you keep. We do not become something other than human when we get to glory. We're still us. We still have the memories. We still have the, the, the emotions. We are still us. We're just in a perfect body. And now without the bent towards sin, we are still us. And we have a memory. And that memory should be filled with all the things that we spent our breath on for God rather than the things that we didn't. And I don't want anybody, and I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do a boomer thing. I don't want anybody in this room to go to heaven wishing they could have had a V8. YouTube it. Wishing you could have lived life different. Thinking that, what was I thinking? I had 70 years, 80 years, 90 years to glorify him. And I did nothing that I should have. 
I should have spent more time here. I should have done more there. I, he's worthy of everything that I had, and I kept so much back for myself. I didn't even tithe. I didn't go on a mission trip. I didn't help missionaries. I didn't go down and feed the hungry. I didn't serve in grace loves. I could have been a tutor in an elementary. What was I thinking? What was I thinking with my life when that is what I have to see every day? The nail-pierced hands, the sword, the, the, the spear in the side, the crown of thorns and the marks, he gets to keep those. You go into heaven, whatever malady, disability you got, it's fixed. You're blind, you see. Deaf, you hear. Mute, you talk. Everything is fixed. Why? Because there's nothing about those things that need to be those which are reminding of anything redemptive. Jesus keeps his. I'm, I'm convinced Paul keeps his. Because all of those wounds are those which were born to redeem somebody else. And they are reminders of what it cost. Jesus keeps his. And every day we're going to have to view them. Reminded of what it cost. He gave all. How come I didn't? How come I didn't? Paul lives in the fear of the Lord realizing, I got to please him like that now. I got to please him like that. Because he says, whether I'm home here and absent from there, or whether I'm absent here and home there, I better find myself pleasing. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's got a good perspective on life. Oh, I was with a friend of mine last weekend uh, in, in London. Um, one of our pastors there, great man, great man. And he's battling cancer. And he was diagnosed two years ago. And the doctors gave him maybe six months. And the grace of God, along with good medical care, has allowed him to, to live beyond. But the perspective he has is wonderful. He looked at me over tea when we were there in London. That's what you do when you go to England. You have high tea, high tea, high tea. I can't figure it out. It's too expensive. For nothing. Little bitty sandwiches, biscuits, and a few desserts for $150. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. I know it's on a beautiful tower, but so what? It's Wawa. I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. But he was talking to me about life. And he said, Brad, I'm, I want you to know, if God keeps me here, I'm going to keep serving him with all my heart. And I'll be happy to stay. And his wife was across the table. He said, but if he wants to take me, he said, I, I'm ready. I don't want to go. I'm not trying to get there. But I'm ready. Not only do I know he's my savior, and the only way I can get in is by his grace, but I've lived every day of my life trying to please him. I've got confidence when I appear before him, I'm going to hear well done. It wasn't arrogance. It was assurance. Assurance from comes that comes from living in the fear of the Lord every day. I hope you're getting this. Lastly, Paul says, we persuade men. <laughs> he says, I'm using my life as that which allows others to come into the reality that God has, has gifted me to understand. I want them to know who he is. Having, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we then persuade men. 
The first two are fabulous. You're, 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 you're doing all you can to make sure you're living right. You're pleasing God. But this one here should challenge every one of us about what it means to make our life different for somebody else. To be a witness for Christ. To make sure that our lives are, 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 are shining lights in the midst of darkness. How much do you care about the people who are in your sphere of influence, your world? How much do you pray for them? How often do you minister to them? And you say, well, I, I don't know all the scriptures. Well, the fear of the Lord about what it means for you to impact the world for his glory drives you to study so that you can be competent in your ministry to those around you. If it's all about you just being happy or getting by, you're not a diligent student of Scripture because you're not trying to figure out how to upgrade so you can make him more happy every day. But if you're trying to figure out how in the world can I make my life different for somebody else, because all those people out there, let me say this, they got a lot of questions, but they're the same questions. There are no new questions. And so any question that somebody has about who God is, whether he's relevant, is he real, did he rise, who Jesus was, I've heard them all. And I've gone to the scriptures so that I now have answers for any question somebody might have. And it's not just chapter and verse. I have apologetics. Things outside, well, apologetics can be in scripture, in scripture too, but things outside of scripture that help to confirm what I know scripture says to be true so that people now can believe that the things that are in the Bible are real. They're sound. There are things upon which you can place your trust. Let me just give you one. I love science. I'm a biology major. And um, I, so I, I read a lot of things that help, help me understand the world and how it works. And about 15 years ago, astronomers determined that the, that the way the world, the, the universe came into being was that there was this moment. And please do not, don't think about the years in terms of how they, they, they superimpose over Genesis chapter 1. Think about sequence. Everybody understand what I said? Sequence, not years. Because when it says day one, day two, day three, it doesn't necessarily mean a 24-hour day. can. not saying it doesn't. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It can be an era, a period of time. It says there was a moment, boom. Nothing was, and then something came into being. Everybody has determined that who's a legit astronomer. And then they said about 350,000 years later, light came into being. Light came after the beginning. Science... Science didn't figure that out until about 15 years ago. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering. And then God said what? How did Moses know? Moses was a writer of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Did he, he didn't have a Hubble telescope. How did he know the light came after the beginning? How did he know? God told him. I got all kind of stuff like that. <laughs> so I can go talk to people who are learned and say, just FYI. The Bible confirmed many thousands of years before what you found out 15 years ago. 
I work. And please do not relegate this to me being a pastor. I'm just trying to help people. And so when we talk about persuading men, I want to make sure that my life, because somebody ministered to me so I could get right. I want to make sure my life is then a, 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 a return back, sown back, a reciprocal benefit to somebody else so that they can get right. And not just one, but tens and twenties and thousands. And so I persuade men in the fear of the Lord because somebody somewhere down the line sacrificed so I could get right. And we can run it all the way back to when Jesus was on the cross. The line is, is not broken till it got to me. And I want to make sure that it stays unbroken beyond me. He says, I am persuaded that I must tell men about this. And when I do so, I am manifested to God. <laughs> this is the confidence that he has. That his life lived in the fear of the Lord in all of these respects. Being content whether in the body or out of the body. That he's going to do the will of God, pleasing God every day, and then making sure that his light is a witness, fulfilling his ministry, his responsibility to the world. He says, that allows me to then be fully declared and appearing before God without any shame. I can come with confidence before my God. I am manifest to him in all of who I am. He is confident that he can hear, well done. But then he says, I also want to be manifest in your consciences, Church of Corinth. Now I'm closing with this. Chapter, second, uh, ch chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians is one of the more sad passages in all of the Bible because all Paul is doing is trying to prove himself to the church at Corinth. In fact, he calls himself a fool in it. He said, would you bear with me with a little foolishness, please, as I commend myself as maybe being somebody who can have some influence in your life? Like I was in a, on a ship, and then in the sea, a night and a day, I got beat with rods like five times. I, I've, I've, I've been stoned. I, I'm not a super apostle like those others who have the entourage. Why is it that I have to do this? Why have you rejected me? You have many teachers, but you only got one daddy, and I was him. Paul was trying to say, my life should, if my life is manifest to God in a way that's approving, it should manifest to you in the same way. I've lived in the fear of the Lord. Please don't make me do this. Don't make me talk about all the things I've done because you would not be had I not come. Paul was doing all he could to let the people in Corinth understand his legitimacy in ministry. But legitimacy in ministry is best, best confirmed by character life not anointing. Are you listening to me? Character life, not anointing. And character living comes through the fear of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness. I'm asking that you would help us as a people to live in the fear of the Lord. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ. Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be, and you want to make a fresh decision today. Today's a great day to do that. Anybody at all, raise your hand high. I want to pray with you. I see that hand. Bless you once it's up. You can put it down. Anybody else? 
I see that hand. Bless you. Once it's up, you can put it down. Wonderful. You who are online, maybe you're in one of those two categories. You can pray this prayer with me as well. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I have lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got a lot of stuff we'd like to give you. You can text there on the screen information about your relationship with God that started anew, and we want to help you in that. Uh, please talk to some people out here in the information desk. They'll be able to give you some stuff that allows you the privilege of understanding what it means to have next steps. It'll be a Bible like this with a pen, pad, and a Bible study in it. So please come forward. Before you go, I'd like for you to listen a little bit to what I gave as a teaser. Um, we are planting two congregations this year. Two. One, in, and, and, and for those of you who do not know, we are working really hard to try to plant one congregation in every ward of Washington, D.C. by 2030. At present, we're in three. We're in Ward 5, Ward 6, and Ward 2. That would be the Georgetown area in Ward 2, Capitol Hill, Ward 6, and Ward 5 is Washington, D.C. Northeast. Um, our goal is to be in all eight by 2030, and we think we are on track to make that happen. This year, our congregation in Sterling is planting in Ward 3 of Washington, D.C., and our congregation in Brooklyn, D.C., which is Ward 5, is planting in Ward 7 of Washington, D.C., so by the end of the year, we will have five congregations downtown. Woohoo! How does that happen? Because you got great people like this. We have Jermaine and Blythe who are going to be planting in Ward, Ward 3, which is Tindley Town up there by American University and the zoo. And then we've got Richard Venegas and his beautiful wife are going to be planting in Ward 7. Only just a few blocks away from our, a few blocks, maybe eight, nine blocks away from our church on Capitol Hill. And so they'll be able to partner together. And our goal is, again, to plant one in every ward of Washington, of which there are eight. So once we finish this year, we'll have Ward 1, Ward 4, and Ward 8. And we're already planning for Ward 8 for 2025 or 26. We've got a leader for it, the whole works. There's a plan that we have that God seems to be blessing. And we are able to do it, not just because we have a plan, not just because he inspired us, but because you have given toward the effort. You believe in this vision. Our goal is to help win Washington to Christ. You can't do that without great churches. Churches are God's best answer for any community. If you have a great church, it's a great answer. That church then can produce ancillary ministries that reach out to the community in, in unusual and unique ways. But the church is God's best answer for the world. It might be messed up because it's made up of people. It's got issues. It will always have flaws. But it is still God's best answer. And our job is to give the answer that is God's best to Washington, D.C. in every one of its wards. So the Lord is helping us. And he's helping us through you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for giving. And continue to do so, I ask. And today, we're going to take an offering for that. Every month, we receive an offering for our Windows City campaign. If you've given in the past, continue to give and give more. If you haven't given, be freshly inspired for this goal. Let this, let this thing get down on the inside of you and pray about it regularly so that we can help see Washington, D.C. change for the glory of God. Can you say amen to that? Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of being inconvenienced with the mission of helping to see Washington, D.C. bettered by your word. Help us to give toward it. And thank you for the resources that you provided in order to make that happen. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. You know the routine. You can give according to the screen behind me. Bless you. You're the best.